The views in this podcast are the participants' own and are not the views of their respective companies. Welcome to Aerox The Legacy Life, the podcast asking what does a career in runoff insurance or reinsurance actually look like? I'm your host, Katie Reynolds, and today I'm joined by Paul Corver, Group Head of Legacy M&A at R&Q. Hi, Paul. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Glad to be here, Katie. Could you please tell us a bit about what your role as the head of Legacy M&A entails? Sure. R&Q are one of the earliest established runoff consolidators in the marketplace. Uh, it was uh, established in 1991 um, as the market was imploding predominantly with US um, asbestos and, and other liability losses, and companies were looking to dispose of their runoff liabilities. Uh, Messrs. Randall and Quilter uh, formed the company because they could see opportunities to take on those liabilities and to manage them and uh, extract profit um, for the for themselves or the shareholders. Over time, we have seen a number of other companies establish, such as NSTAR, Catalina, Riverstone, Compre, uh, and and a number of others who will who will curse that I haven't mentioned them. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's it's it's a very well established industry. So I head up the team at R and Q that basically identifies opportunities, is receptive to tenders that come in from brokers uh, and, and consultants where a counterpart wants to get some protection or some disposal of a legacy portfolio. Now, that could be a portfolio of risk that they are no longer underwriting. So they've discontinued a particular class of business. They may have discontinued operations in a certain territory. They may have actually put the whole company into, into runoff. And the shareholders and other stakeholders are looking to either extract value from that or to protect against any deterioration, uh, to gain capital relief, or just to simply um, avoid the the management distraction of of running a business or a part of a business in which they have no ongoing interest. So there is a very large viable market for legacy M&A amongst the parties that I've just mentioned and other interested capital providers, particularly that are coming into this space to see opportunities. And the sector has transformed considerably in the 30 years that I have been working in runoff. Do you primarily handle UK business or I know R&Q I know is is everywhere, but do you handle Bermuda, United States, Europe? Yes. Yes. We have a team in Bermuda, um, that focuses predominantly on the North American and Caribbean market. And we have a team in the UK and a couple of exclusive consultants working for us in continental Europe. The nature of runoff is predominantly exposures in the US and UK markets, possibly because of the stresses that those marketplaces had back in the 70s and 80s from the rising asbestos costs and pollution liabilities. They had to develop mechanisms and solutions to address companies that were in runoff. Uh, my, my career in runoff started working for a very large London insolvent um, insurance group called the Quelm Companies um, that ceased underwriting in 1990. And we eventually wound them up in 2005. And that was at the time estimated around about a $10 billion insolvency. And there were plenty of others on both sides of the Atlantic. So it was out of the necessity to progressively manage these runoffs that the industry was really born. And other entities who were perfectly solvent 
government, but saw opportunities to rid themselves of problematic portfolios or discontinued business, could tap into the uh, the, the M&A legacy sector to, uh, to to rid themselves of those of those liabilities. So, in your role, do you go out looking for opportunities? Are you more uh, people are bringing opportunities to you, and you're finding ways to bring them into the company? Are you doing negotiations? What What do you do in relation to well, um, acquisitions? Sure. So, what does it actually entail? We um, yes, we do go out and about. We obviously maintain close uh, connections with a, a large distribution network of brokers, advisory firms. Uh, we're very active in the captive insurance space and providing runoff solutions there, having transacted with probably 70 or more captive or self-insured groups in the last 10 years. So there is another whole distribution network of captive managers um, and other sort of advisory firms working in that space. So we maintain close contact, but generally the deals will come in being presented by a broker or an advisory firm who will be looking to do a, a market tender. So they'll be looking for competitive bids from the legacy um, M&A providers in order to try and get the better deal or the best deal for, for their client. In recent years, we have seen a significant uptick in the broker appetite in this space. For many years, they had really not treated the legacy space with with much attention at all, but more recently have determined and realized that they have access to a vast network of clients who may have portfolios of legacy business that they might want to dispose or get rid of. And the brokers have now realized that they have the opportunity to collect additional commissions by transacting <laughs> such um, such deals. So you know, we now see a lot more interest from brokers. A lot of the big firms have set up dedicated legacy units to go out there and look for these opportunities in their client base. So you know, we're not having to go out um, all the time knocking on doors. Most of the time, we're able to respond to deals that are coming in to us. So the basic process we would adopt at R&Q is upon an initial inquiry coming in, either directly from a, from a counterpart or through a broker channel, we would put it through a triage process. So an initial triage process to look at the basic details of what is being offered, uh, the classes of business, the territory where it was written, the years of exposure, and whether there are any significant characteristics that that are unappealing to us, which could be a certain class of business, it could be uh, a territory. So you're coming out of perhaps uh, you know we've we've seen opportunities coming out of Africa and uh, and other places which are pretty immature with regard to sort of regulatory oversight. So you have to be a lot more cautious perhaps about investigating some of those types of transactions. So so we go through a triage process uh, initially. If the group that looks at that through triage, which includes our chairman. Um, are keen to progress, we will then look at pulling together a a non-binding indicative bid. So that's basically formed off the back of pretty much desktop information that is provided by the counterpart or the broker relating to the opportunity. And we will price it and say, okay, if you want us to reinsure that portfolio, or you want us to take it by transfer, or you want us to acquire the company, this is the cost. This is how much Either if it's an acquisition, this is how much we'll pay you to take away the company, or if it's a reinsurance or a transfer, this is how much you need to pay us to take away the the portfolio of liabilities. 
if the non-binding bid is is favourable to the to the counterpart, then we would usually then go into fuller due diligence, where we would then look in a lot more detail at the portfolio of business. We would look at how the claims are handled. We would look at the strength of the reserving. We would look at any litigation, any collateral requirements, really understand what's behind the business so that we can properly price a risk premium to be able to take it away. If it's an acquisition of a company that is in runoff, then there is a lot more due diligence required. We would need to understand if they have any employees, if they have any pension obligations, if they have premises or other um, contractual obligations. Obviously, a simpler transaction is purely writing a reinsurance for a portfolio of historic liabilities because all you're doing is assessing those liabilities. Acquiring a company in runoff takes a lot more attention and, and due diligence. So there are different processes. So once we re- once we arrive at our final bid number and go through the relevant internal approvals for that, uh, we then put that out to the broker or the counterpart and then see if we're successful. If we are, we would then go into the stage of of negotiating and finalizing the legal agreements, whether that's a sale and purchase agreement, if it's a stock acquisition, or it could be a reinsurance agreement, it could be a transfer agreement, and then hopefully close. Some transactions will need regulatory approval. If it's a stock acquisition, the regulator of the company that is being acquired will need to approve the change of control to the new owners. Some regulators will also like to uh, review and agree a reinsurance transaction, depending on the requirements imposed on the counterpart. And transfers will generally need regulatory or even court approval, depending on the jurisdiction. So there's a number of different steps in the process and a number of, uh, of different hurdles to be overcome. Are you seeing a lot of opportunities coming out of newer markets? Like you mentioned Africa, is that becoming more commonplace or is that still kind of unusual? No, it's still very unusual. I think you have to really assess how mature the actual insurance market is in those territories. So there is very little insurance penetration in a lot of the developing world. And because they are behind the curve in that regard, they will inevitably be behind the curve with regard to legacy portfolios. Certainly, the you know, the, the, the types of business that are transacted are generally into a general liability, product liability, workers' compensation, or in the UK, the equivalent of employers' liability. And these are classes of business that could have exposures going back a number of decades, especially with relation to industrial disease exposures. Now, whilst the uh, you know the developing world have industrial disease exposures, in, and some of them even still use asbestos in, in horrifying quantities, there won't be that insurance cover to provide the the same level of sort of legacy uh, opportunities. But it is growing. Southeast Asia is is a growing market in this regard. Um, Earl are actually working with the Singapore Insurance Institute on developing a sort of an offshoot of, of Erla in, in that territory that would come encompass Southeast Asia. So it is, um, it is a developing market for some of those more mature countries. Uh, but certainly, there's a lot of the world really has very poor overall insurance penetration. So inevitably, we'll then have very little legacy opportunity. You mentioned captives before that that's something RNQ has been involved in for quite some time. Yeah. How do captive opportunities come to you? I understand brokers would be bringing in business from other insurance companies, but captives, it almost seems like from what I've seen, they don't even necessarily know that there could be an entity out there that would like to help them run off their insurance liabilities or things like that. So how do you find those opportunities? Sure. I mean, it's been a slow burn in order to get that 
exposure into that community. I mean, there are uh, there are around six and a half thousand captive insurance companies worldwide, so it's a very big population, and a lot of those will be inactive. Uh, we started back in the late two thousands. I think two thousand and nine was our first ac- captive acquisition, and at that time, we actually had ownership of a large captive manager in Bermuda. We also had one in in Norway. We had one in Gibraltar, and I ran that I ran that division. So it was at that time that I appreciated that there was this huge sector of insurance companies carrying liabilities that had no real clue about what we were doing in the runoff space. So we would attend the captive conferences of which there are numerous in the various main captive domiciles, whether that's Guernsey or Vermont or Cayman or Bermuda, and just get to know people and put the message out there. Your captive managers would often be um, involved in in the discussions, um, although they're perhaps not the most forthcoming because uh, they might not want to lose the fee revenue they get if if they then lose a captive to a, one right. of the runoff acquirers. But it's you know it, it's been a slow burn. The education is is getting out there. Captives are becoming more aware. But it's, it's quite telling where I, I recall one deal we did in Guernsey um, and a non-executive director on that company said, I had no idea we were able to do this. I sit on the board of another company that's been talking to its advisors for ages about how we could exit. And it's that, I think ignorance is a hard word. It's not realizing that there are those exit opportunities either for a whole company or for a portfolio available. So when the message gets through, it does start to trigger thoughts in the minds of the you know the captive owners you know the big corporations you know, we have we've dealt and, and and transacted with the likes of AstraZeneca and Unilever and Axo Noble and Virgin Atlantic uh, a lot of household names we have transacted with it's about getting the message across because at the end of the day the shareholders of those captive insurance companies they're in the energy sector or the transport sector or retail or entertainment they're not in the insurance space they yeah. won't naturally understand what is available to them so so it's education and i i have done a lot of speaking in the past at captive events and captive conferences in order to educate and get the message get the message out there that there are options to uh, to manage their legacy business you mentioned a little bit about um, your career prior to R&Q, but I, I want to back up and just talk about how you got to where you are today. I could literally say I got here today by train. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously, it's wider than today. So, yes, sorry, that was a bit facetious. Um, I mean, I started my, my insurance career back in 1985, uh, where I worked for a very large uh, London-based underwriting agency, fairly similar to Lloyd's of London, but it worked in the company market. So it was an agency that wrote for a number of different insurance companies on its on its stamp or on its on its pool. And I started off for a couple of years in sort of working in the accounts and premium processing, having just sort of come out of university, and then progressed into the underwriting room and was working with North American casualty underwriters. And then in 1990, the 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 burden of asbestos claims of of pollution liability and other torts overwhelmed the companies and the agency had to cease underwriting. At that time, I thought, okay, I'll have a brief interruption to my um, developing career as an underwriter and, uh, and worked on some of the rescue packages that were trying to be put together for what was deemed a $10 billion um, insolvency. And I've never gone back 
to underwriting. So that runoff career developed working for what I alluded earlier, the Quelm companies, which was a very large insolvent estate in the London market. Um, I eventually became the head of claims for that in the last five years of its operation and worked through the closure of the insolvency, settling, I think, in the region of two or three billion dollars worth of claims. I was frequently in the US because most of the claims obviously were coming in from large US uh, corporates um, with their asbestos exposures and a lot of US insurance and reinsurance companies who had reinsured themselves into the HS Weaver's pool. Very exciting times. So by the end of 2005, we had effectively closed down that estate and three of the five Quelm companies had paid their claims in full. It was a very successful runoff, uh, very well well managed by the scheme administrators. And at that time, myself and, and colleagues then set up our own sort of runoff advisory company um, in 2006, which we ran for a couple of years as a team of about 25 of us all, all owned the company between us, some with bigger shares than others. And then R&Q bought us in 2008 to sort of enhance and bolster their their um, offering to the market. So I came into R&Q in 2008, initially worked, as I alluded earlier, on the captive management division. And then that quickly morphed into the legacy M&A. Predominantly, I was working a lot with the Bermuda team because I was in Bermuda frequently because we had a large captive manager base there. But then um, you know, focused a lot more on developing UK and Europe. And since 2018, I've had the global role of, uh, of head of M&A. So you're 36 years in the industry now and uh, 31 of them in runoff. And it's been absolutely fascinating. The early days, obviously, people didn't like to be associated with runoff because it had the taint of disaster and the taint of failure because a lot of companies were failing because of it. So people wouldn't want to be seen talking to the runoff players because that could in- intimate that they had an issue, that they had a problem. Whereas now it's it's come full swing. And a lot of companies, you know, the big, big name companies, Hiscox, QBE, CNA, Travelers, you know, they're all regularly talking to to, to runoff, um, runoff players about perhaps capital capital relief solutions or disposals or portfolios. I mean, Zurich Insurance are a big player in in identifying and disposing of portfolios of business. So it has been a remarkable change. Uh, And a lot of that has been down to AROC in the US and Erla in, in the UK, which are sort of the market bodies which give a focal point to the professionalism of the sector, give a focus on where the, those who work in the sector can get together, can share horror stories, can educate <laughs> each other, gain experience, you know, get taught on uh, on educational issues, you know, developing issues, uh, and and really represent the market to regulators, represent the market to the lawmakers, and give it a proper identity. And we have now you know, finally got that. We are recognized as a runoff market or a legacy market by the rest of the insurance community, which is a massive turnaround from 30 years ago. Paul, how do you think we could get more young professionals involved and interested in legacy? Because there's a a bit of a problem that while we know the people who are in the industry that you can have a, a long career and it's ever evolving, there's still this perception with people who are newer to the space that, well, it's, it's runoff, it's designed to end. How do we get more young professionals involved, do you think? Sure. I think that I think the question is 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 even wider than runoff. I think it's insurance generally. It has yeah, always probably. been a challenge to get young people interested in insurance because the general 
view is, well, that's that's motor or that's home insurance or household insurance. You know, what else is there? It's not appreciating that it could be the insurance of a large manufacturing company or the insurance of an oil rig or a fleet of you know, ocean-going vessels or satellites. Or you know, The insurance industry is so broad. There are so many different areas where you could explore and gain real interest and excitement. So the insurance industry generally is pretty poor at appealing to uh, to the new generations that come through college and university. But I think my my message on the legacy space would be that you know, there are a significant number of legacy acquirers. You know, we've got over a billion of, our, of, of liabilities under management. Some of our competitors have got significantly more than that. There are a lot of transactions being done. PwC do an annual survey and last year's survey or, or early this year estimated a total of $860 billion worth of liabilities in runoff globally. A big proportion of that in the US, I think over $360 billion in the US. You know, there is a career to be had within the runoff consolidators in particular by taking on the, um, the liabilities that others are disposing of and naturally running them off to to finality. Now, the appeal that that has, um, and certainly in you know, in in the area I'm in, in the M and A division, is that every deal is different. You could be looking at a pool a portfolio of U.S. general liability one minute. It could then be French um, workers' compensation. It could then be a Bermudian captive. It could be an Isle of Man captive. So many different opportunities. So many different exposures into classes of business that you do develop a very broad knowledge of the industry. You're one of my chaps who was in runoff. Um, he left and got a job at, at, uh, at a well-known insurance company as a, as a professional indemnity underwriter. And after a year, came back to runoff because he was so sort of siloed in just looking at one line of business at an mm. underwriting firm. It was it was relatively dull compared to the exposure that he had at, um, at a runoff player. And similarly, in the M&A space, you have to be conscious of you know, what's what's the position with the regulatory circumstances around a deal or the legal or the tax? You know, what are the positions with reinsurers? Are there bad debt provisions to be understood? What's the position with collateral or LOCs? You, you, you will learn an awful lot in one of the legacy acquirers because you get exposed to the whole gambit of the insurance sector. You're not pigeonholed into a particular class or a particular discipline. You know, it, it, it really is a fascinating place. And we do see, certainly with with AROC and Erler and the sort of the young professional groups that we're putting together, we are seeing increasing interest. And those people go out and they talk to their friends and their colleagues and, and it, it sort of self-perpetuates that interest. You know, there is quite a buzz at times with the you talking to these young professionals about the excitement they see that they can have in the sector as a career. I've had a career now in the in the run-up space for 31 years. And which only now in recent years actually become an established part of the insurance community. You know, it will only go from strength to strength going forward. And then, of course, you've got the broking side of things. You know, brokers, as I said earlier, are setting up dedicated legacy units. It may be that the young people want to get into the broking side and they could attach into that area rather than coming into one of the liability carriers. So I think it's, you know, it's a fascinating place full of opportunity. Any advice for young professionals out there who are uh, looking at the space or interested in getting involved in runoff? Talk to people in in the space already. You know, we have a mentoring system at Erla. A number of a number of people like myself. We're in the mid to late fifties. You've know, been working in the business for a long time. 
our, our knowledge needs to be imparted and we're more than happy to talk to the youngsters and we have a very active mentor program in that regard as I'm sure you know Aeroc is, is is also has that and is developing that so I think it's to talk to people in the industry don't talk to people necessarily outside of runoff but in insurance because there are still a lot of people that, that look down their nose at the runoff space that think it is the dead end role because they're too close-minded to actually understand what we're doing so I think it's to you know to to go and have those conversations and you know, pick up the phone or try to get to one of the AROC or earlier events and just get to know what people are doing. It is fascinating. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us today. It has been great having you. We appreciate your time and all of your insights. And to our audience, thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast app to help other people interested in legacy insurance or reinsurance careers find our show. Okay, now it's time to cue the music and close this thing out. AROC is the only U.S.-based nonprofit association focusing on the legacy sector of the insurance and reinsurance industries. The global non-life runoff market is sizable with an estimated $875 billion in reserves, and it's growing. Runoff solutions provide flexibility and capital release as insurers look to find ways to underwrite the quickly evolving risks demanded by consumers. AROC serves the industry by providing education, networking, information, and data. Learn more about what we do at www.aroc.org or contact AROC's Executive Director, Carolyn Fahey, at carolyn at That's A-I-R-R-O-C.org. See you next time.